He is a gifted vocalist and worship leader, and he has been led to a new ministry in Columbus, Georgia, in the Midtown area. You are going to hear all about it coming up in my podcast, Faces of Faith. Jonathan Moore, my guest, so stay tuned. There is the word, there is the way, and brothers and sisters who find strength in their belief. We meet Faces of Faith with Bill Scoggins. And welcome in, everyone, once again to another edition of Faces of Faith. I'm your host, Phil Scoggins, and it's, it's not often that I bring somebody into the studio that I, that I don't know to some extent, and I'll be honest with you, my guest, Jonathan Moore, is someone that I have heard so much about, but our paths just haven't crossed and, and allowed us to closely connect. So guess what? Over the next hour or so, you're going to get a chance to hear the story of Jonathan Moore and his testimony, and I am going to get to know this soon-to-be good friend of mine, because like I said, I, I have known of you, but I haven't really gotten close to you, and I hope that will change after this next hour. Jonathan, welcome aboard. Thank you, and it, we all feel like we know you because we watch <laughs> you on TV so much, so it's very nice to be here and looking forward to connecting today and getting to share my God story. That's exactly what I want to do, and we used to have a, a special uh, program. It was a, a news story segment called Everybody Has a Story. Uh, a young, uh, talented reporter named uh, Jessica Clark was uh, assigned to do those uh, that franchise, and she would basically throw a dart at a um, map, and whatever city was closest to, she would go to the phone book and r- arbitrarily just open it up and point to a name, call that that person up, and sometimes it would take her several phone calls to get through to somebody. they pick up the phone, and she would say, hi, I'm Jessica Clark. I I, I do. Everybody has a story, and I want to talk to you about your story, and the response is, I don't have a story. Why would you want to talk to me? Everybody has a story, and especially everybody has a God story, so we are going to get to hear your God story, the background on how the Lord was first introduced to you as a young child or a young boy, whatever. Again, I, I'm just anticipating hearing what God's done in your life, Jonathan. So I'm teeing it up for you and saying, hit it out of the park, brother. Well, interestingly enough, I remember phone books. So <laughs> if she was throwing darts at phone books, I remember those. And I remember when they would throw those on our front walk. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I grew up in Columbus. I love Columbus. I, I've been here my entire life, and um, I uh, begged, borrowed, and stole, and asked my wife to move here when uh, we started dating and said, hey, will you finish college here? And she moved in the dorms. And she's been here for now 27 years. We've been married for 25 years. Wow. You're talking about Lisa. <clears throat> talking about Lisa. And, and y'all met how? We met in Estes Park, Colorado at a music seminar and wow. in the Rockies, and we were up there, and I was chasing some dream, and she was this sweet, cool, good-looking, earthy, (laughs) guitar-playing songwriter, and uh, it was very quickly, we both knew why we were there, and we met, and we dated for a year long distance, and she was from Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. She grew up in Tulsa, and uh, she was going to Oklahoma Baptist University, and I begged her, and she auditioned for a scholarship here, and uh, it was for her senior year, and she got a full scholarship to finish her senior year at CSU. And we dated here for a year, and then we got married in 1997. Um, but so I uh, 
to back up, I, I grew up in Columbus, and I begged her to move here, and so she loves Columbus as well. And I grew up, you know, I was one of those kids that had a drug problem. My parents drugged me to church every time the door was open. And, uh, uh, I, so, can, I can relate. Yes, yeah. And where'd you grow up? North Georgia, a little town called Lafayette. It's just below Chattanooga, Tennessee, about 30 minutes south. And uh, our little church was in Tryon, Georgia, T-R-I-O-N. And um, I ended up, uh, I mean, I, I literally remember sleeping in the back of the Volkswagen up, up, above the engine, crawling back there is because it was about a 20-minute drive to and from church. But uh, those days of being young and being drugged to church are very much a part of my DNA. And wondering, like, do kids today even go to church enough to know the feeling of getting left at church? Because church was so comfortable to your family. You know, there were five kids in my family, and we were at a revival service. And I remember mom just, she left me. And <laughs> she got about halfway home. Where's John? And somewhere, like, we left him at the church. It was just me and the evangelist <laughs> sitting out waiting on her. Uh, but I grew up at a church called Columbus Independent Baptist Church up until I was was about 12, now, I guess about 10, and then we went to a mission church that's no longer around, um, Faith Baptist Church, and it was real, real cool because it was, they were doing some things that people are writing books about now. We were in uh, a blighted neighborhood, mm -hmm. and they were doing all kind of missional activities and meeting people where they were. They were doing service projects and Sound like know, Rob Strickland's church. Yes, it's a couple of streets over from where Rob was. Only it was it wasn't cool back then. <laughs> it was equally as hard, but it wasn't mm -hmm. cool back then. And so, but we grew up there. And um, then my sister wanted to start going to Winton Baptist Church with a friend, and they had a great student ministry. And mm -hmm. so we were kind of going back and forth. And uh, I was twelve years old then. Then my sister said, Mom and I are joining the church tonight, and if you want to keep going to the afterglows, that was the youth stuff after church yep. on Sunday night, if you want to go over to the Gordy's house, you got to join with us, you know, and I was like, really? And the food was really good, and they had a pool table, so I said, you know, so I joined Winton then and was pretty much a member there um, from age 12 to age 40. And so, uh, you know, loved the Lord at an early age. And um, probably about 15, I uh, began to stray and um, started looking for love in all the wrong places. And mm -hmm. um, sin be began to draw me away, and I didn't have a strong footing in discipleship. And, you know, probably a million different reasons. And I found myself um, using all of my gifts and abilities for everything other than what the Lord had uh, called me to use them for. I knew from an early age that I was supposed to serve Jesus, and but I wanted to, to do my own thing my own way, and um, we began to to play a lot, and, I, and not, there's not anything wrong with that, but for me, there was, and I began to play in, in bars all over the city, and we were packing them out. And, um, but when did was, you know you had a talent and a gift for, for, for music? Probably about 10 or 11 I started just wanting to sing all the time. It wasn't something that I pursued. It really pursued me. Mm -hmm. You know, growing up in a family with five kids, you got to find your thing, you know. Yeah. And uh, and it was just a, something that I could not get away from. And even in middle school, um, it was just the thing that I loved. I mean, I loved athletics as well, but um, music just came so naturally to me. And I had – you probably know Kathy Patrick from Evangel yes, Temple. I Ka sure do. Yeah, and – 
Uh, Kathy Patrick was our band director at mm-hmm. Rothschild and at Diamond when I went to elementary school in Rothschild. Okay. And then there was a lady, Marilyn Evans, you may not know. She and Keith were on staff at Evangel Temple. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm ashamed to say how long ago it was, 30-something years ago. Uh-huh. But um, uh, so th- probably middle school was when I really realized, man, I'm going to, this is really who I am. And I played ball and stuff through high school, but nobody remembers me as an athlete. But music was really the only thing that I ever wanted to pursue. And um, and then uh, probably about 20, 21 years old, I realized that I, I was never going to be happy being a bad guy. And um, and the, the Lord just was relentless in his pursuit mm-hmm. of my heart, and I was miserable. Mm-hmm. And so everybody else would do the things that we were doing in late, late high school, early college, and they'd go home and sleep, and I would go home and just know that I was running from mm-hmm. Jesus. So then, uh, fast forward, long story, a little bit longer, uh, a couple from my church called me, and they knew that I had been coming back to church some. Mm-hmm. I kind of got out of church from 15 to 20. And they said, hey, John, we know you've, we've been seeing you in church, and we know that you're trying to get away from that lifestyle that was kind of, uh, it was controlling me. And they said, we'd like for you to come live with us for a while if you need to get away from that. And I I knew that that was the Lord. I'll never oh, forget. Wow. Yeah, I was working what at an opportunity. Food Max. I worked. You remember Food Max? I do. I worked shop there a lot. Yes, I worked there at County Market and then Food Max for almost ten years, from sixteen to twenty-five. And um, I, I was in the deli in the back, and they called me on a Sunday night and said, "Hey, come live with us for a while." So I did, and that got me out of the atmosphere that I was living in, and and then the rest is kind of. The Lord just began to chip away, knocking big stuff off first, and he's still working on me today. Just ask Lisa. She'll tell you. How incredible is it, though, that the Lord intersects your life with with people? Yes. I mean, that's the way he he works through people, mm-hmm. and that he would have laid it on that couple's heart to say, we need, we need to reach out to this kid. To be Jesus with skin on is what I, I mm-hmm. call when we have the ability to be Christ to other people, mm-hmm. to be his hands and his feet. And they were. And it was a great, it was an opportunity for me. I was just in kind of in a downward spiral and I couldn't get out. I guess they saw my hand reaching out and mm-hmm. they reached out and grabbed it. And that was what I needed. That was a catalyst to kind of getting me back. And then probably had a year or so where I was trying to figure out what I was doing. And then, then I went to Colorado and met Lisa. <laughs> but fell in love with ministry and knew that there was some kind of ministry that we were supposed to do. And so then that began a journey for Lisa and me. We traveled on the road for 15 years, just tugging a trailer and flying anywhere they'd fly us and driving anywhere they'd drive us and telling people about Jesus, writing songs and hosting youth camps. Who mentored y'all in that pursuit? Well, this was back in the late 90s, and there were not, in the circles that I was running in, I feel there weren't a lot of contemporary worship leaders. You remember church 30 years ago, and it was kind of during the worship wars, and so if you got up there with an acoustic guitar and some drums, it was a little scary, especially Mm -hmm. for a Southern Baptist boy Mm -hmm. um, in South Georgia. But um, uh, there was a, a guy named David Gwynn, and I'll never forget it. It's so interesting how God's economy works. I got asked to go on a Friday night with a guy named Alton Duncan. And uh, you may know Alton. He's from here in our city. And 
he said, hey, will you come and sing with this group from Winbrook at a prison in um, Union Springs? I said, yeah, yeah, I'll go. Then the next night I got asked to go to Augusta, Georgia, to, or to Wrens, Georgia, First Baptist uh-huh. Wrens, uh-huh. and, uh, and to sing. And so I went up there and sang. And um, this was on a Friday and a Saturday. Well, the next week, the, guy, the youth pastor of one of the pastors that was in the prison calls me, and that was a lifelong friend, began that weekend. A guy named Drew calls me and says, let's get together. So we get together. We start doing stuff for his student ministry. He's got friends all over Alabama and the southeast. They start calling us. The people that we met on Saturday night in Wrens, one of them was a guy named David Gwynn, and he was with Action Discipleship Ministries. He calls me and says, hey, the next week, Hey, I'm doing a camp for First Baptist Opelika, a college camp. Can you lead worship for us? And I was like, I mean, yeah. He's like, have you ever done this, you know, for out anywhere? I said, well, I do it for our student ministry every Wednesday night, but I've never traveled and done it. He goes, don't tell anybody. Just bring your guitar and come on. So I came on, and the first night I sang seven solos and led them in one worship song. He comes in. Just, you got to know this guy. He's awesome. He's a mobilizer. He said, hey, how about, they love hearing you sing, but how about tomorrow night you let them sing seven songs and you sing one? And I was like, I got you. You know, I, I got it quick. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was the beginning. He told them that I was worth way more than I was. Set a precedent for Lisa and I to get paid more than we probably should have in the early days. But what that did was enabled us to grow and People just began to call us, and so he had lots of friends, and the guy on Friday night had lots of friends, and I can point back to that weekend, and probably mm-hmm. for several years, almost every weekend, we were singing, leading worship somewhere from one of those two relationships. It was it was pretty incredible, if you think about it, or a friend of a friend, mm-hmm. and we were blessed, man. We would do some youth camps we would do for seven or eight years, like as long as a youth pastor was there. So really funny. In that time, Lisa and I started Sold Out Conferences, which is a student camp that we host down in Panama City with about 15 or 20 churches from the southeast. And it is fun. You might know Lee McBride. Yes, I do. Yeah, Lee. And He's Lee. been on this podcast. Has he really? And Joe Phillips, too. <laughs> <laughs> Lee's a trip. He but uh, he, he, did, he did this podcast driving to some conference out in Texas, and he's on the interstate. And, and that's how we did the podcast. <laughs> I will never. Lee is the only guy that you'll be talking to him on Saturday night. Where are you at? I'm at home. Well, where are you preaching tomorrow? In Alaska at 830. It's like, how are you going to get there? <laughs> well, I'm leaving in a few minutes, you know. And he'll get there and God will use him. Yes. He doesn't require much sleep and he, he is an anointed brother. But Lisa and Lee and I started sold out many, many years ago, about 22 years ago. Wow. Yeah, and we've seen literally thousands of students come to know Jesus and be called into ministry. And it's, uh, it's, we call it Bapticostal. Um, <laughs> it's just great preaching and a lot of worship. And then we bring in 35 college students to lead small groups and we train them and teach them how to disciple. It's, it's a great week. How much, um, what, what role does the Lord play in, in the development of your uh, of your music and your your music writing, how much of it do you do? Again, I'm just sort of probing here because I yeah. don't know, but I know that your your music ministers, your worship leaders, and that means that you deal in music. 
how much of it is yours? How much uh, does the Lord impress upon you to write songs? What Talk to me about that part of, of what you do. Yeah, well, when I met Lisa, I was dragging a bag of tapes around. You remember the old singers that would just have a bag of oh, yeah. accompaniment tracks? Yeah. And I had, that was really not who I was. I had, you know, been a basically a barroom musician before I got saved. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so Lisa was asking me, she said, and she was just doing her thing. If you know Lisa, she's artistic. She's uh, just, she's, her craft is very, very meticulous. Mm-hmm. And, um, She's a phenomenally talented, thoughtful, um, deep human being. And um, she said, why are you doing that? Why are you just singing everybody else's songs? And um, that began a journey for she and I. And we began to write. And we kind of realized early on that for the majority of the places that we were going, you know, First Baptist, Reedsville, Georgia, back then they hadn't heard even any of the popular worship songs. So they were all new to them. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't know who Stephen Curtis Chapman was mm-hmm. or who, like he, we were on equal playing field with him there. And so we began to realize in a lot of settings, if we were going to introduce them to new music, we should maybe grab a few of those really popular ones that really hit us. But there was some freedom there to mm-hmm. write our own stuff. And so we began to write out of Bible studies. And in those early days, you know, I read somewhere that, leaders are readers. And so I, I, I would just read and read and read. And a lot of our early songs came out of like, I'd be reading a Chuck Swindoll series of mm-hmm. books and I'd be like, man, I, this truth really needs to be sung. And, yeah. and then some would come from a lot of our songs have actually come from big Lee sermons. We've got a, a, really? a, a, yeah. In fact, the, the song, if we were to have a song that someone said, Hey, this kind of, if you know, Jonathan Lisa's music, you know, this one song, it's from a long, long way. And I had always heard Big Lee preach that sermon about the prodigal son and the dad. And, and he looked and he saw his son. And if you know Lee, you can hear him say, and from a long way off, you know, with that yeah. high-pitched, uh-huh. rich voice, uh-huh. the father saw him coming. And one day I was sitting in, Lisa and I, before we had kids, we had a quiet time room. All the rooms in our house are loud now. We have two teenagers. But back then, we got to be earthy and vibey and had a quiet time room. And uh, um, I was in there one night, and I was having a quiet time and um, just dealing with some things, you know, like we all do, and Mm -hmm. praying through some things. And I just began to sing the line, From a long, long way you saw me come in. I just sat there and started to weep a little bit. And Lisa was in the other room. You know how your wife does, trying to act like they're not listening. Mm-hmm. She's like, you need to write that song. And then, <laughs> sorry uh-huh. for listening. And so uh, I began to write that song out of just uh, remembering that message, remembering the story from the gospel of the prodigal son and mm-hmm. how the father took him in and lavished love and grace and acceptance on him and how he didn't deserve it but God gave it to him anyways, and uh, which really resonated with me. And, um, and so a lot of our songs come from those kind of experiences, from moments in Scripture. Like recently, I was studying in the Psalms where it says, there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore in your presence. And as I was just thinking through that and just thinking there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore in the presence of the Lord. So anything that I'm missing any joy that I'm missing, anything that I'm needing, it's all found in the presence of the Lord. Mm-hmm. 
And so many times that's the last place I go is the first place I need to be. And so I just begin to sing, oh, there's nothing like the presence of the Lord. There's nothing like the presence of Jesus. And then began to sing that, and there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Anyways, and so then I'd play it for Lisa, and she'd say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then usually the next step is we'll try it out in church. And if, if we really love it, it doesn't matter what people think. Mm-hmm. But if we're not sure and nobody says anything, we usually trash those. But mm-hmm. in the early days, Lisa and I were writing a song a day. Really? Yeah, and a lot of them were bad. But uh, in the early, early days when we were just traveling and singing, and we traveled to Nashville for several years and just wrote with some phenomenal musicians. And You know Alan Levi? I do. Alan's been on the podcast. <laughs> Alan, uh, Alan had um, a lot to do with Lisa and I even singing together. We were kind of, before Lisa and I met, I was trying to do my own thing with my bag of tapes, and a lot of people kind of knew me as this big singer guy and um and Lisa came in and was really making me helping shape me to be the guy that God had called me to be mm-hmm. to write songs and to speak from my heart not just try to sing a high note and impress you you've been there you know yeah. in, in church mm-hmm. you hit that big note it yeah. really doesn't matter how you're living you know yeah and um <laughs> And Alan said David Phelps note. Yes, yeah. He's killed a lot of great singers. <laughs> you know exactly what I'm talking about. Nobody can sing like that. And um and so uh but Alan sent us a letter one time and Lisa and I had recorded one song on a solo album of hers. And it was she and I singing, and he sent us a letter and said, Hey, Lisa, I love your new album. I really like when you and Jonathan sing together on this one song. And for what it's worth, I think you should do more of that. And that was just, we needed to hear that. Mm-hmm. We needed that encouragement. And sometimes you just read encouragement. Sometimes God whispers to your heart, hey, take this to heart. This is me. And we knew that was him. And so the rest was all she wrote. We just never, dis- we never wanted to be apart. We never wanted to sing apart. We don't like to be on the stage without one another. Um, if our names are pretty synonymous. I don't think most people know our last name. <laughs> We're just Jonathan and Lisa. You know? <clears throat> that is precious. Um, we are, um, and, and sort of introduced the show, saying that um, you were called to a new ministry and to actually begin uh, a ministry on Hilton Avenue, uh, the Cityscape Church. Walk me through how did that transpire? How, what led you to know in your heart of hearts that this was the direction God wanted you to take at this point in time? Yeah, that's a pretty interesting story because getting back to Lisa, the one thing that she never wanted to be was a pastor's wife. <laughs> um, she's so much more than that. She's the worship leader at our church. But um, so... Uh, Ten years ago, Lisa and I were on the road. We had just finished an album with a guy named Scotty Wilbanks, who was with Third Day Forever. He's playing keys with Luke Bryan now. He's just a phenomenal friend, a phenomenal songwriter and a musician and producer. We had just spent more money than we'd ever spent on an album. We had had the time of our life. Felt like we had written the best songs we'd ever written. And St. Luke Church asked us, hey, would you like to um, to uh, come and and release your album at our church. And we had a dear friend who was on staff down there. And so we said, yeah, it'd be great. It's a great 
place. Mm-hmm. So we released our album. We had it was a great night. Had a room full of people. Sold a bunch of albums. It was really great. And then a couple of months later, they called and said, would you come on staff? Would you and Lisa think about, well, the first question was, do you know any great youth pastors? And we gave them about five names. <laughs> and they said, well, would you guys think about doing it? And my first answer was, I mean, we, you know, thank you. That's an honor. This mm-hmm. is one of the better churches in, in our region. And to be asked to be down here would, is a great honor. But, you know, we know what we're supposed to do. And we had just finished that album. And I went and told Lisa, and she said, hey, what'd you say? We were on our way up to Second Baptist Griffin to go do a missions conference. And I told her, and she said, I think we need to pray about this a little more. And um, we did. We called them back. We began to go through the process, and we went on staff at St. Luke 10 years ago as their student pastors and uh, began this journey that was just phenomenal. I had always secretly wanted to be a student pastor, so the moment she showed a glimmer of hope, we dove in. Saw God do some phenomenal things, saw just hundreds of students come through the doors and hundreds of students give their lives to Jesus. Dozens have accepted calls to full-time ministry and are serving Jesus. And um, But about four years into it, uh, they had told me that if I wanted to go back and finish my degree, that I could, my undergraduate. So I called Columbus State. I went up there and met them and said, hey, I, I was four classes away from my degree in marketing 17 years ago, what would I have to do to like maybe get some of those credit hours? So they said, let us check into it. We'll call you back. They called me back and they said, Mr. Moore, after I felt like they were calling me bonehead and (laughs) dummy, (laughs) they said, you've got four classes left still and you can get in all four of those this semester. So I approached our pastor at the time and, um, and the financial secretary at the time. And they both said, Hey, just go. Just go anytime. You just finished. Just you got one semester. Okay. So I finished. Sem- uh, finished my undergraduate in marketing, and then we started going through experiencing God with our high school students. And while we were, I don't know if you've ever been through that. It's Henry Blackaby's experiencing God. Yeah. It's phenomenal. It's very much worth going through about hearing and discerning the will of God and knowing when God is speaking and yeah. um, knowing when it's the Father's voice. And God very clearly said, "I want you to go to seminary." Um, and so, uh, through several other things, he kind of told me through some humbling moments in my life, he shared with me that I needed to go to seminary, but I knew he was getting me ready for something. So mm-hmm. I applied to Liberty, got in, thought about going there, but I couldn't get the finances. And then Asbury seminary came to St. Luke and, uh, somebody on staff at St. Luke came to me and said, Hey, if you want to go to Asbury, we think we can get it taken care of. So I told Lisa, I said, hey, I promised you that we wouldn't go in debt. I knew that the Lord had told me that. Uh Here's a way that we can go. So I began the best three-year journey of my life, and it it was phenomenal. Before that, I wondered, like, did you really need to go to seminary? Yes. It it was, for me, it was life-changing and life-altering. It's three of the hardest years of my life, raising kids and Uh having a full-time job, still traveling and singing, hosting a camp, and going to seminary. But it was phenomenal, and it was uh, my degrees in church planting. My master's is in church planting and intercultural studies, and we talked about church planting constantly. And so I just could not stop thinking about church planting, and looked like we were going to plant some churches out of St. Luke, and then some things came together, and it looked like we weren't going to be able to do that. So Lisa and I began to pray, Lord, okay, if not this, 
we love this community, but if not this, what are you doing? We're, we're wide open. And I had a friend that said, hey, if you're going to plant the church, you need to do it before you're 50. So uh, the Lord opened a door last year when I was 49 for us to plant Cityscape Church. And we were given the funding that we needed to launch and the team. And we've, we started with a team of about 65 adults. And, and, uh, and then um, my first day as pastor was four days before I turned 50. So it's nice. pretty awesome. Snuck it right under the yeah, wire. Like, and and it, so we launched city. We did a series of pre-services and we launched um, on February the 27th and it has been awesome. And, you know, some of the major reasons for planting churches, um, and I'm about to bore you with some statistics, but that's okay. Uh, you need a church for every, a Christian church for every thousand people in a city. It's kind of what they've church planting experts say. So every thousand people. So if you got two hundred thousand people, you need two hundred uh, gospel communities. And then this number really got me. Um, outside of the fact that the local church was God's plan, that's how He started with the Apostle Paul, and mm-hmm. that was His profession, and that's how the gospel has spread all over the world. And and church planting is the primary source of evangelism, and it's God's expression. Churches are God's expression of himself to the world. This statistic got me. If we were to um, fill up every current Christian church in America three times this weekend, so every sanctuary, Evangel Temple, North Highland, St. Luke, Winbrook, Cascade, Highland, all of these churches, if we were to fill up every Christian church in America three times this weekend— there would still not be a seat for over half of the uh, people in America on a Sunday morning. Wow. Yeah. So the, the fields are ripe for harvest. Mm-hmm. And so we just began to just sense this calling and we, man, we meet everybody I meet is in between churches or hasn't been to church in a long time. And, or maybe they experienced some church hurt or mm-hmm. they've always kind of wanted to go, but they were never asked or, you know, the churches close to them already have a DNA and it's a little bit harder to break into a church that's already been established. So a new church offers some openness and some grittiness and some authenticity, some genuineness that can be perceived quickly. And so we just knew, okay, God, we are really sensing that you're calling us out on the limb to do this. And I was armed and dangerous with a degree from seminary. <laughs> and uh, and with a passion to share the gospel and to try to keep our church as simple as possible for as long as possible. So we launched, and uh, God is moving. We've got a great team. We've got a phenomenal team, my wife and uh, a girl named Mallory Lang. She used to be Mallory Wood. She's leading our student ministry, and Haley Henson is leading our children's ministry. She's a teacher here in Columbus. And Nick Cash, a dear yes. friend of ours, Nick Cash is one of our associate pastors. We call him our Swiss Army pastor. <laughs> We've been friends for a long, long, long time, and God allowed him to come over and help us. And um, Patrick and Lori Aiken are dear friends, and, and they're heading our small groups, our city groups ministry. And it's, it's really cool if you're looking for a church home. It's, it's fresh and open, and it's precious. You mentioned uh, this is done, obviously, in partnership with Lisa what what was her did was there any reluctance on her part because you mentioned she didn't want to be a pastor's wife sorry for chewing ice um you know lisa is she didn't want to be a pastor's wife when we were younger 
partially because we knew most of the people we knew were pastors and worship leaders and in the churches that we would go to, it was awfully hard terrain. But the other thing about Lisa is she is a deep woman of faith. And so, um, she usually knows when it's time when God is calling us out sometimes even before I do. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram, but, um, the Enneagram is this deal where you take it and it kind of tells you personality traits basically, and, okay. and maybe things that you have a bent towards, but my Enneagram is two and it means I desperately want you to like me. And, uh, so sometimes that can be clouded in in safety and, and in, you know, loving, having a place and where we were was very comfortable. We were in a wonderful church with a lot of wonderful people and having great results. But Lisa knew, she knew God had laid that on my heart. And so she had been praying very, very hard for me. And God began to just wake her up for that. And, and she is a quiet, um, gentle person who works very diligently behind the scenes. And she is new. And so she began to see it. And she began in those early days because I was still on staff at St. Luke. And so she began doing a lot of the legwork early on, gathering people in our home and gathering people in friends' homes, making sure that we had everything ready because I was still running a student ministry and we were leading worship. So she's been phenomenal. She's she's all the way in. And, and uh, in fact, our first Sunday, we had a women's luncheon and she had 43 women at her. Wow. Yes, on launch day. Um, so it, her role has been pretty incredible and she's been very supportive and not just supportive, but all in. Now they say when you're looking for a spouse, um, the way to do it is to run hard after Jesus. And when you look over to your right and you see her running hard after Jesus, you okay. just start running together. And that's really what happened for Lisa and me. This is a non-denominational church. We are actually a as a uh, part of the Columbus Baptist Association. Okay. Yeah, right. but we are Cityscape Church, so. So um, what would, if you had to describe um, the, for lack of a better term, philosophy of this new Cityscape Church, your mission, uh, as you formulated the plans for this church, what did the Lord speak into your heart that this is what you need to focus on or, or, or you know, create your energy around any, any certain thoughts there? Yes, definitely. Well, you know, the ultimate goal for all of us is to know Jesus and to make him known. Second Timothy chapter two, verse two says the things that you've heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men and women so they can tell others also. So discipleship is mm -hmm. very, very key to that. But the thing that we really felt the four core focuses that God really impressed upon us was that we are people who are made for worship you know, because his loving kindness is better than life, our lips will praise him. And we're people that are made for community. We were made to do life together. We're, we're better together. My dear children, I write this to you uh, so that you have fellowship with us, John said in First John. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So he's saying, you know, um, our joy is complete when we're together. And if you notice the the redwoods, why they grow so tall, have you ever heard that? Mm -mm. The sequoia trees, actually, why they grow, they grow so tall because their roots are all intertwined and connected together. And so we're just meant to be together. We're not meant to be alone. So worship and community and then multiplication, um, evangelism and discipleship. I think we make it really hard sometimes for people to really know how they fit in. And so 
Um, we want you to come in and know we're about worship. We're about community. We want to teach you how to evangelize, tell people about Jesus, and we want to disciple you and make you a disciple maker. And then uh, finally, missions. Um, we were uh, blessed to be a blessing, uh, God told Abraham. And, um, and so that's really our four core focus is that we don't want to make it any harder than that. We have city groups where we're trying to disciple people in groups of 12, and then we have our Sunday mornings where we're worshiping to the 5,000, not 5,000, but you get the picture. Um, through social media, it might be. Yeah, maybe. And then, uh, <laughs> and then uh, through bands, through uh, small, small group discipleship, which would be three to five men or three to five women um, actively involved in one another's lives and encouraging one another to, to grow deep, more deeply in their relationship with Jesus. So the four core focuses are easy. That's kind of who we are. You'll see banners up all over our church. Nothing more, nothing less. Worship, community, multiplication, and missions. And that's what we're about. We're about uh, raising up new leaders and sending them out. One of the things that the Lord told me early on was um, the more people you send, the more people I will send. If you keep sending people out, I'll keep sending people in. And so we're just trying to be faithful and and just do that and create a place where if somebody doesn't have a church home, there's two kinds of people or three kinds of people that we hope come to our church. One is if somebody's never met Jesus and they want to investigate a relationship with Jesus, obviously we want to create an atmosphere where they feel safe to investigate Christ. Mm-hmm. The second is if somebody um, has been out of church for a long, long time and they're just looking to come back and reconnect with God and reignite their faith with Christ. And then the third which is really integral in, uh, early on is people that may be church members somewhere else, and they may be like we were, and they may be super happy, but the Lord is calling them to step out on a limb. Maybe their faith has become stagnant. Maybe they've gotten in a place where Sunday mornings is more of a commodity than a community for them. Maybe it's become more of, hey, I like to see my friends, but I'm not growing in my faith. And um, the Apostle Paul said in Philemon, he said, I pray that you'll be active in sharing your faith so that you'll have a full understanding of every good thing you have in Christ Jesus. And sometimes when we've been in a community so long, we're so safe, we don't really know what it feels like to bleed for our faith anymore. So we do know that God has called some folks out that were super happy where they were Mm -hmm. because they were like we were. It's like, yeah, you're safe, you're comfortable, and you're dying. You know, which is where we were. So those are the three kind of folks. And so God, luckily, he sent us about 65 or 70 people that were like, yeah, we're going to step out on a limb with you. I heard, uh, you know, Ann McDuffie? She used to be the headmaster. At, yes, yes. In a Bible study, yes. she said one time, she said, um, step out on the limb. That's where the good fruit is. She said, it's scary mm-hmm. and it's dangerous. But that's where the good fruit is. And so that's kind of the kind of folks that the Lord is calling out on the limb. Like, man, I remember when we had a staff of 200, and now we don't even have a secretary. But, <laughs> but it's so awesome when you see young people coming that haven't been in church ever. And you see people coming that it's been four decades since they've been inside of a church. And just we have young couples that God is calling them to get married that maybe hadn't seen the the necessity for that. Mm -hmm. And we have people that God has just called into, they've never been involved in church and God is sending them. It's just, it's really cool. The folks that the Lord is sending and, and the freshness. How have you 
transitioned from being a songwriter to a message writer? Well, I usually always have to have a tagline. Um, <laughs> I'm not crazy about everything that, uh, that this guy does, but I, I do love the creativity of Stephen Furtick. Are you familiar with him? Yeah. Um, don't always align with him perfectly theologically, but I do love his creativity and his thoughtfulness. And the, I feel like he spends a lot of time making sure that what he's saying is translatable to uh, a culture of students that need to be spoken to in a tweet. Mm-hmm. So usually he'll speak for about 10 minutes, and then he'll give them one tweet that kind of helps them, <laughs> oh, that's what you're talking about. And uh, so I think a lot of that, I think, is coming across in that. I, I probably have two verses and two courses and a two channels and a bridge, you know, in most of my sermons right now on accident. But um, I, I'm really embracing that. I, I really I love to share the, the gospel, and I love the the time that it takes. I had a guy early on that said, you need to prepare about an hour per minute for your presentation. And so I, I haven't always been able to do that, but I'm enjoying that part of the craft. And I think I'm still going to write some songs, you know, and, and still help with that. And I'm still leading some worship on Sunday mornings, but I, I'm enjoying that part. And, and the part that is really a blessing to me, he pushed a button there. It's like, I just woke up is, you know, for people to give you their attention for 25, 30 minutes, just what an honor that is. What a blessing it is to, to have them there when they could, you know, there's no social um, pressure to be in church anymore. You stay at home. Nobody cares anymore. You don't have to do it for business to build. I mean, you just, we live in a different world. Mm-hmm. And um, so when people are there, they need a touch from God and they want to hear from the Lord and they need you to be prepared. And so, I'm really enjoying that every week, diving in and going listen to pastors that are phenomenal, preach the same passage and realizing, man, there's so much deep. <laughs> Am I ever going to have those thoughts when I read this for the first time? But I'm loving it, just absolutely loving that part. And hopefully going to raise up some songwriters um, to come in and, and take our place. Well, Jonathan, we've been talking uh, some 45 minutes, uh, and I think... For people that may not uh, have known you, like me, um, I'm intrigued by the passion that you have for the Lord first, for your music, for your ministry, for this new venture, the new church cityscape. Uh, I think you've certainly whetted the appetite of anyone who who might be in one of those three categories uh, to come and check you out. But thank you for taking the time. You mentioned giving you 20, 25 minutes of, of your folks that come on Sunday mornings to listen to you, but thank you for giving me this time of yours to share with the, the ones who are listening to this podcast. You are a, have, have been a blessing to the Columbus community a long time, and I pray that you'll continue to be so in, in your new venture here with Cityscape. Thank you, Phil. We love Jesus, we love his church, and we love this city, so thank you so much. Absolutely. And once again, you've been listening to Jonathan Moore, the pastor of the new Cityscape Church here in Columbus. At this time of the podcast, I always want to thank our producer and, and the gentleman that would not, this would not happen without his magic fingers, Lewis Myers, sitting beside me. Thank you so much, Lewis, for what you do to make this podcast possible. We thank you as viewers and listeners. And we would always remind you at this part of the program, whatever you're going through, always remember, keep the faith. See you next time.